Hello and welcome to this week's PropCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting and we're talking about PropTech. I'm joined today by Jessica Williamson, who's PropTech Strategist for the Department for Leveling Up, Housing and Communities, and by Anthony Baker, who is co-founder at Satellite View, uh, the acceptable face of space tech. He managed to find his way to the fifth floor, ladies and gentlemen, for this morning's podcast. Well done. Thank you for coming, Anthony. Let's start with you, if we may. So Satellite View, you've been very, very busy in the market, raising lots of money over the last six months or so. You've got some fantastic, highly exciting backers. Can you maybe just give us a bit of a quick elevator pitch on the problems that you're solving with Satellite View, what the company's doing, and some of the things that are exciting you at the minute. Absolutely, and thank you very much, Andrew. I did make it to the fifth floor, and um, yeah, I'm very grateful for that. So Satellite <laughs> View, Satellite View is going to launch a satellite, which is actually made in the UK. All the bits are made in the UK, so it's a true British satellite. And this has some unique features. It has a special camera on board, which hasn't been built or, or launched before, that can detect the heat emissions from any building in the planet. So we can zoom down and look at any building and tell you where the energy is being wasted in the world. Wow. So, yeah. yeah, pretty impressive. So the great thing is that this really helps people identify, uh, you know, net zero emissions, because everyone seems to have the same problem. They don't know what their footprint is today. Mm. They don't know where to spend their first money to make things better. And that upgrade, did it actually work? It's quite hard to tell. So there's lots of accounting and things going on at the moment, but no one's actually measuring anything. Amazing. Well, exciting stuff. So we'll come on to that in a minute, and, and net zero will form a big part of what we're going to talk about this morning. Jessica Williamson, you're the acceptable face of Americans in England, all the way from the West Coast. So tell us about what being a prop tech strategist at the UK government entails. And, and, and I think also let's talk about your own journey as well. How have you ended up being from the West Coast and living down in Farnham? the rock and roll Silicon Valley of the South of England. Sure. Thanks very much, Andrew. And thanks for having me join you this morning. So I've been in the UK 15 years, despite wow, the accent. You haven't, you haven't, the accent. Don't be fooled. you haven't lost a sense of the accent. You should have heard me after I lived in Scotland for five years. It was quite <laughs> a funny version of, of accent then. But I initially, despite being from California, I got into the UK startup scene while living in Edinburgh. So joined a couple startups there dating back about 13, 14 years ago. Then wound up moving to Cambridge to join someone setting up a startup accelerator investment program in Cambridge, which we expanded into London, joined with Techstars from the US. If anyone's familiar with Techstars startup accelerators, I then spent the next five years building and running Techstars programs in different parts of the world. So we focused on fintech with Barclays, expanded that globally, spent a little bit of time in Australia, focused on defense tech, in Norway, energy tech, Paris, Berlin, South Africa, traveled around, loved it, but got really tired of the travel, took a year on sabbatical, did a little eat, pray, love, figure out what was next, thought I'd either go more into VC or into corporate innovation. And actually, one of my old colleagues knew that the housing ministry at the time, this was just over three years ago, mm. and was looking to add a new role, engaging and supporting prop tech companies across housing and planning and helping central government understand what was going well for innovation in this space, what wasn't going well, and how could central government help. So it was a completely different journey for me getting involved in public sector. Obviously, that wasn't my background, but I thought it was exciting 
you know, to use kind of my network and understanding in a completely new industry, mm. being part of a different perspective. And what I thought was just going to be a three-month kind of temporary project to get my hands into actually has been a little over three years now because turns out I really enjoyed it. I love the team. I love the vision. Felt really supported. And there's been different focuses at different times. I think the biggest mm. thing I've had to learn is not to spread myself too thinly and being okay with the guilt of not getting everything done at once. So sometimes I've tried to spread myself across every policy area of DLUC. And uh, other times I've been a little bit more focused yeah. and had to sacrifice involvement. Oh, well, that's cool. Three months to three years. You've obviously gone through a crack in space time, which Anthony can probably explain to us in a second. So, Anthony, let's go into some of your background as well. So you, you've got a pretty fascinating story as well. You haven't got quite so thick a West Coast accent, <laughs> but we can make allowances for that. Uh, West Country accent. <laughs> a long time ago, I was a, a boy from Devon, so there we go. From straight out of Compton. <laughs> near, near enough. So tell us about your own journey through the worlds of satellite space. How have you ended up thermal imaging buildings for a living? So I'm, I'm an engineer from 25 years in the space industry. A lot to do with uh, satellite communications and broadcasting. I've worked in Hong Kong, uh, I've worked in Qatar, I've worked in the Netherlands. Uh, for I started my career in Ofcom, so you know, I've really been around around mm. a lot, a lot of startups and, and etc. But the inspiration for this, I was in Qatar, I was the first CEO there, and uh, we built a satellite for Al Jazeera because they wanted their independence. And for we the did news organization. For their news organization. Yeah. They were having trouble from neighbors who were jamming the signals. So they wanted this new system that couldn't be jammed. I helped set up the company, started with an empty office, ended up with 88 people. So when was this? What, what, when, non-90s? Uh, so I started there 2012 until 2016. Yeah. So once we achieved this, the next thing is, what else does a small state need to be have independence? So it was eyes over the border. Where's that pollution coming from? Where's that sea pollution coming from? They export massive amounts of liquid natural gas. Who's looking after that? Who's got eyes on it? So there's all sorts of border security issues. With drones, you can go up and down your border, but you can't look over the horizon. Mm. So this seemed like a really good project for a small nation state, which is right next to Iran. So, you know, there's concerns there. Unfortunately, the oil price dipped. And uh, they said, right, we're, this project's on hold. So I said, hell, I'm going out to London to do this myself. And that was the uh, start of Satellite View. Oh, amazing. Well, and you've made some great progress. So tell us about some of the VCs and other investors that have come on board recently and what role are they playing in helping shape the business? So I'm glad you mentioned Techstars because we started off in Accelerator as well. So just for anyone that doesn't know what Techstars is, Jess, do you want to just explain what they are? Sure. So my experience there was running accelerator programs where we would pick roughly 10 companies from around the world, focus on a specific theme or industry, and then run a very intense three-month boot camp, helping those companies access the right mentors, build partnerships, close sales, hire, raise further investment, and hopefully launch into a successful future. Okay, so that obviously worked then, because you know, yeah, no, they, you're, you're here on PropCast this morning. <laughs> And it's all due to that. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of your experience with Techstars, what did they do for you? What did you do for them? So we weren't with Techstars. We were with a, an accelerator very similar. So, um, you know, they're, they're pretty much the same. There was a three-month program. We were with uh, Seraphin, which is a, a locally listed investment company. And uh, they run a thing called Space Camp, which is for space companies. <laughs> 
and uh, they teach you the right things to say, the right way to pitch, yeah. the right way to develop your product. And in terms of some of the other investors that you have, AO PropTech is another one of your backers, and that's Europe's largest prop tech VC, and they've got a big weighting towards businesses like yourselves that are doing really cool and innovative things to help support the real estate industry's move towards net zero. What are the value that you get from having the likes of Greg at AO involved? I'm a space guy. The other founders are tech guys. They know all about Amazon Web Cloud and things. And we've got an energy trader that knows all about the cost of energy, which is very pertinent at the moment. We don't know anyone from the real estate businesses. And so to have an investor that can make the introductions, teach you the lingo, identify what's important is super interesting. And, you know, we've been running workshops and with their input and guidance, it's been really useful to find out what the end user wants. Because literally we're taking images from space in a band that's never been used before. You can't buy infrared imagery. So how's that relevant to someone who's trying to upgrade the installation in their house? We need to find how we turn our data into information, which is important to them. Mm. Jess, that's a great segue really into what Deluxe doing. I'm not going to try and um, pronounce it. Apologies to anyone in the branding department of Deluxe who I've offended by pronouncing it wrong. And hopefully by the time this podcast goes out, the the department hasn't been rebranded again. (laughs) But in terms of the UK government and your role, how are you looking at different sets of data that companies like Satellite View might be crunching and, and, and creating? And how are these things basically aligning with the policy that your colleagues are forming? Sure, great question. And when I first joined, there was already a large interest in the ministry and the department. Don't worry, you're doing well, Andrew. Um, there was a strong interest in figuring out what data government could help open up for others uh, to better innovate on and incorporate into products get insights out of. And I think one of the things that came through very clearly as I started speaking to a number of companies across the space was, yes, there's interest. Of course, there's interest in data that government can help make accessible. But there's also tons of data and insight that these companies have that the public sector could benefit from, either as a potential customer buying some of this data or to inform policy, as you mentioned. And so that was something that really... I think, jumped out at me quite early on in conversations and trying to help make those links between companies like Satellite View or others in the planning space or home buying and selling or social housing and connecting those companies with the different policy teams to understand, you know, what insights do those companies have on the ground, either around SME builders and that kind of activity or to inform, like, for example, with the planning reform work and digital planning transformation how can those insights be incorporated into new policy that's being formed? Mm. And this is a, and, and, and these digital planning particularly is a big, big drive that you've been on as a department. And it's something that we've been very supportive of over the years. We published a report called the Radical Regeneration Manifesto a couple of years ago that many listeners will be familiar with, and I'm sure you and, and many colleagues uh, were involved with. And certainly we had a number of meetings with, at the time, the ministry following that report. And, and one of the big things that we were very aggressively supportive of was digital planning. So how is that manifesting itself? What are some of the businesses that you're excited by in that space? Because I think, you know, Talking about satellite imagery and particularly thermally mapping buildings is a big part of the play when it comes to operating buildings. But when we're thinking about planning and developing them, identifying where they need to go, there's a huge amount we could be doing better with data, isn't there, and engagement. 
For sure. And I think some of the very first companies that people pointed me toward repeatedly were companies like Leantech, Urban Intelligence, Realize, Nimbus Maps, companies that, you know, they each have their own angle, but can do a much better job of bringing data together and helping developers or landowners or public sector understand the development potential of land and Mm. where properties could go to maximize development or more insightful decisions in that Mm. area. And I think from government perspective, you know, initially the focus was making more data available, but then people also realized, oh my gosh, there's so much insight that these companies have. We could be using these kinds of tools for our own decision-making. And the public sector land team, for example, did wind up doing a pilot with one of these companies to help prioritize and understand development potential of land. So that was exciting to get off the ground. I think just one other space to touch on is how communities engage in the planning process. And I have to admit, this was an area I really overlooked personally at the beginning because I thought it's not always the wizziest technology in this space, but applying capabilities that are really commonplace in other industries or other part of the sector to make it more possible for people to have a voice and get involved rather than, hey, Andrew, can you show up two o'clock on a Tuesday at a town hall? You know, you're maybe unlikely to go there, but if something catches your eye on social media and you can chime in and help shape a new development in your neighborhood, yeah, that you're so more some, likely yeah, to that's, And that's a good point, is that simplicity and alignment of different things. And Anthony, again, from your perspective as, you know, as an engineer, sometimes the best solutions are the most simple solutions, aren't they? It's not always about reinventing the world. I see this a lot with different companies that we've talked to and we've advised, where companies always want to build a new thing. And you say to them, well, why do you want to build? What problem are you trying to solve? Well, we want people to be able to talk to each other. So, well, just use WhatsApp. That's what people use. Or use Facebook, whatever it is. And companies want to consistently just invest in and reinvent the wheel. But actually, sometimes it's good to use existing technology. And that, with satellite views, is a lot of what you're doing, isn't it? It is. It's... The great thing about a satellite... Pimp my satellite, isn't it? You're, you're, you're exhibit. Exactly. And, 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 you know, what we exhibit can... is, a, just for anyone listening that's not familiar with the MTV show, Exhibit is a big-name West Coast rapper from the West Coast of Dorset. <laughs> I, I don't think I can follow that, but anyway. <laughs> but but, and, but pimp, pimp, pimp my satellite. Let's, we're talking yeah, about... let's talk about pimp my satellite. So the good thing about satellites, and they're very, very clean beasts, and don't need uh, pimping too much. So um, we can measure something in a supply chain made in China or something uh, a building made in, in, in London or, or you, you know, your customer in, in San Francisco. It's the same measurement throughout. And what we've done already is we put a copy of the camera that we're flying in space on a plane and we've been flying up and down. We've been flying up in London and Liverpool just to see what we could see. And you're and absolutely... where's, where's the camera come from? So the camera is built in, in the same factory as... as a, and, Sorry, and I interrupt. You, you were going to say I was right. Oh, so always no, good. you're always right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the simplicity of it all. So yeah. when you fly over Ealing, you can immediately see the worst 20% of houses. Whereas if you rely on other data sources, there's an EPC. Is that fit for purpose? Or there's other people working out ESG measurements, etc., from formulas and everything. The two companies don't give the same rating to the building. We can see this building is emanating the most energy. And, you know, you can go and have a look. at Was it by design or was it not by design? But it's a very black and white measurement. And it's simple. You don't have to come up with an index which nobody agrees with. Yeah, and that's one of the challenges. I mean, in fairness, I remember when 
when EPCs were introduced and HIPs home information packs were introduced by, but it was Eric Pickles at the time was Secretary of State in the department, as it was then. And I think whilst EPCs are a blunt instrument and are probably not fit for the purpose that we require today, government policy with EPCs, with minimum energy standards, have moved the dial. These things have forced people to act. They've required house builders, developers to have minimum standards, and that has moved people forward. But I think, Jess, as Anthony says, there is a real use here for more black and white binary data that can measure this stuff. And one of the big, big, big challenges that not just the UK government, but every government now has, is how it looks at retrofitting older housing stock. You know, it's, it's not so much a problem necessarily in the West Coast of the States where, you know, you guys are building out of timber and it's sunny and nice, but in the, the miserable North of England and the miserable South of England, the miserable West and miserable East of England where, you know, we don't have such glorious san francisco san diego climates um, retrofitting is going to be all of the day isn't it yeah this is work that's really been taking place between DLUC and bays just to get another government acronym in there and uh, i know that within the department we have a growing team looking at net zero from a number of different perspectives including social housing so while you've been speaking in my mind to be honest i keep thinking oh the social housing net zero team i need to make sure that they're kind of aware or connected to what you're doing, because I know that they're always keen to learn, you know, not just for government setting targets, which is maybe what people think of government for initially, but then what role can public sector play in helping educate the market? Well, how do you actually achieve that target? What are some of your options for getting there? What can social housing providers be aware of? Hmm. And this will presumably won't just be a thing for the Department for Business and Department for Communities, but also Department for Work and Pensions, because clearly those people living in a lot of older housing talk, many of those people will be facing fuel poverty with the fuel crisis that we're seeing. So the ability to think about long-term policies in these areas can have a multitude of beneficiaries. For sure. And even the angle of how you better engage tenants in those conversations so that they can be a part of it, be kept up to date, share their own views yeah, on that- things the building's considering. It's, it's been interesting seeing how the conversations we've had around engagement in the planning process have actually migrated into tenant engagement in social housing and some of those same companies migrating in terms of their client base taking on new projects. Yeah. Now, it's a fascinating kind of end-to-end sphere. And I think, you know, even just thinking about AO PropTech, one of your backers, Anthony, another one of their portfolio companies is Plentific, a software business that helps people, largely helps housing associations and and residential landlords at the minute, and they're moving into commercial, but it helps them with that process of engaging tenants and fixing things. So if you're looking at undertaking works, you can have satellite view at one end telling you which are the the good and the bad buildings and and other software in the middle that helps deal with that. And it's a really fascinating ecosystem of businesses. I mean, in terms of the other uses for satellite view, because you can firmly map buildings, which is great, but you can also look at a multitude of other signals from space, can't you, in terms of pollution and other things like that? No, definitely. So just to finish on that one. So I don't think the burden should all be on the tenants. I think that when we look at Liverpool, we see, it's amazing what you can see. You see hot spots that come to your eyes straight away. And one of them is a big glass factory and it's kicking out a lot of energy and nearby there's houses. And so why do we repurpose that energy, which they have to expel in part of the process for local heating network? So it would give the company 
better credentials and it would give discounted heating to the local network. And you can't imagine some of this stuff until you see there's the houses, there's the factory, and your eye and your brain connects these dots so well. So another thing on what we see is, mm. again, from Liverpool data, there's a tributary going into the um, Liverpool Canal, the Mersey there. It goes in a certain temperature, it comes out much hotter. Now, they, it turns out they have a license to discharge a certain amount of water. But as the ambient temperature goes up with uh, global climate change, that impact is becoming much larger. So it's really important for people to measure that sort of thing. And how sensitive is it? I mean, to be able to measure the temperature of water from space, it's amazing. How sensitive are the sensors that you're pimping the satellites with? So this one is about one and a half degrees, but we have a plan for having a, a lot more accurate. So uh, Wow. Yeah. And from what distance? So how, how far 500 away? 500 kilometres. Wow. Yeah, so it's a fair way away. Yeah, that's pretty astonishing. And in terms of joining those dots then, who are some of the people that are already using Satellite View and are committing to use it? Obviously, presumably you have different partners within your investors. Can you name some of them or, or tell us what some of them do at least? Yeah, so um, we've got an MOU with uh, Landmark, it's Building Intelligence. I think most people would know those people. Yeah, yeah. And we've been working with environmental agencies in Scotland, backed by Sterling. We've got a flight going to the US in a couple of weeks. Again, looking at real estate. One of the big tech companies is interested in their footprint. Yeah, and, that tech, also this... they, and that, that tech company that you're talking about, they own quite a lot of different real estate that has a lot of different uses. They have data centers and warehousing and things, they're different, and then offices as well. So they are interested in their footprint. But what sometimes frustrates me is they just think, oh, well, we're just going to use sustainable energy and you know that's done. So it doesn't but, matter if we're leaky, as long as we're using green energy, it doesn't matter, we can leak as much as we want. Exactly, because the process, they have to expel the energy from the computers, and so it's gone, and you know, as long as it's green, does it matter? But I think, that, you know, one, maybe that energy can be refarmed for other purposes. And secondly, you're having to build more solar farms and wind things. To generate the energy. To generate energy, and yeah. you're spending money and maybe pissing some people off about it. So, you know, I, I think... Uh, the IEA, the International Energy Authority, says energy efficiency is the first fuel for getting to uh, mitigation of uh, climate change. It's really, really important that we address this. No, it's, it's fascinating. And, and, and just from your perspective, what are some of the other things that you're seeing on the climate side of the world, the net zero agenda, which is obviously a you know a big, big focus of the current government. Sure. So honestly, I haven't been able to focus on this space as much as I would like overall, but I do get involved in a number of conversations. I think there's a lot happening around local government and helping local governments figure out what they can be tapping into for their communities and how they can better engage some of their communities in net zero conversations. Then there's companies like QFlow, You've probably come across... Yeah, Qflow, shout out to Qflow. Qflow are great. We love Qflow, who are doing some amazing stuff around helping manage construction waste. Great business that we will absolutely have on. Two amazing co-founders there. Super, right on cue, Andrew. So yeah, companies looking at supply chain and supplies going into construction. You know, and then of course, around the modern methods of construction space, I think there's so much also happening around net zero and... I know other colleagues across DLEC are in each of these conversations, but hopefully over time I'll be able to free myself up a bit more there too. Yeah. So talk us through some of the things that you're focusing on massively at the minute. What's on the Jess agenda and what do you see as some of the biggest challenges in the built environment right now? 
Sure. So around August, we launched the PropTech Engagement Fund, which has slightly taken over my life. (laughs) And essentially, that's really focused on community engagement in the planning process. So I know we've kind of covered that already, but it's been really exciting to actually have funding to support local authorities to pilot new digital tools and engage communities, whether it's in a local plan or on an estate regeneration project or master planning. So that's kind of where a lot of my attention is at the moment. And what were some of the outcomes from that? What were some of the unexpected things that came from that trial? To be honest, like the round one projects are just currently about halfway through and the round two projects we're going to be announcing very soon. Stay tuned. But essentially there, to be honest, procurement process is one thing that I know impacts prop tech companies across every single space. Yeah. And we were prepared for that. We had specialist procurement consultants on board to help the local authorities through this, but it's still been very painful. And so I think when we look at adoption and what's holding back industry adoption, you know, private sector companies have their own procurement issues, but definitely from a public sector side, local authorities and central government Procurement, unfortunately, is still one of those barriers that needs to be properly addressed or smoothed over for more of these kind of capabilities to be taken on board. Yeah, and I think it's just a need to move quickly, isn't it? And I think that the challenge, particularly with many of these issues on planning and the climate, is that time is of the essence. And if we spend six months procuring something, that will often make a project unviable. Completely. A great outcome from some of these engagements is local authorities being able to reach a broader section of their communities and get more representative range of voices involved, whether that's different age groups, demographics, even sometimes translating into different languages. Mm. Um, So that's kind of exciting. And we're still waiting to see some of the data from this first round of trials. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense because I think, you know, the challenge with planning is that often the loudest voices in the room will be heard, but there will often be a, a silent majority there. And that might be, they might not come forward because the languages doesn't they might not have the, the confidence to be able to fill in a consultation in English. They might not have the time. They might be studying, they might be working. So I think it'd be great if the technology you're supporting could really help make the whole process more democratic and more diverse in the people that it engages with. And that's very much a, a, a positive. So what do you guys both think are some of the other challenges that we can look to solve over maybe not the next six months, but certainly you know within our lifetimes or within the next few years? Jess, Anthony, give us two or three each. Sure. So I've worked a lot with colleagues across the home buying and selling space on where technology companies can help smooth, improve the home buying and selling process and reduce fall through rates. I think, you know, that's not something that's going to be completely changed in the next 12 months, but hopefully within our lifetime, we'll see a substantial improvement there. Mm. And I think across property management in general, whether it's social housing or whether it's private rental sector, Just the ability of different tech platforms to massively improve property management, whether that's communicating with tenants, booking repairs, as you mentioned, Mm. or helping reduce overall operating costs. That's a space where like the workflows, like just creating more digital workflows, it doesn't have to be the most cutting edge technology. Yeah. Can still really make a big difference. Taking the friction out of things. And, you know, with your engineering brain, Anthony, that must surely be a big part of of how you think. Yeah, no, I think so. I'm going to say a little bit about the space industry as a whole. And I think we can be enablers, we can be signposts for some of the problems so people can address them. And I think uh, in general, 
the data we provide and the science, you know, the NASA brains or whatever, we need to get closer to the customer, bring it down a level and make it relevant to everybody. So, you know, some of the things that we can do is look at where methane leaks are, are occurring. I think one of the solutions is to come up with digital twins of cities. So you have a computer model that looks like the city. You know, there's lots of space data that you can use to inform that and make a quick decision. I think the challenge with the Western world is we've got all this 100-year infrastructure and we're going to try to drag it into the 21st century. And I think space technology can help with that. What about digital twins of cows to map methane? Is that something on the agenda? Well, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I am a Devon boy, but I, I think digital cows is going to be a, a maybe, little way maybe off. Maybe a yeah. step too far. I'm interested, given the, the fact that, that we do have such a burgeoning space industry in the UK, it is something a bit like the gaming industry that, that people have really begun to celebrate over the last few years. How do you engage with government? What are some of the great things that the government's doing to support that industry abroad? So one thing they've done is they come up with the National Space Strategy, which was the end of last year. So that really highlights... Not to be confused with space standards in housing, of course. No, which, no, this which, is which, outer space. Which we talked about a few weeks ago with Mark Flessing from Pocket. So talk about the National Space Strategy to explain what that means to people. The UK set itself large ambitions to be one of the largest space nations, uh, probably outside of the US. And so that's growing... The whole space community, they set these goals. A lot of them are connected with climate and about the well-being of the planet. Mm. It also includes, interestingly, the defense angle as well, as to how we should keep up with that space race and the best value for money and the best effectiveness. And so it set its targets. Now we're talking about nice paper, how are we going to implement that? Mm. So it's, it, there's very many analogies with the, you know, the COP26. Nice targets, how are we going to implement it? And I think that... These things can be dovetailed together uh, with space and climate. That's exciting. Well, look, let's bring things to a close. Jess, give us a couple of things that you're really excited about in the remainder of the year, other than getting married, of course. That's presumably on your list. And congratulations on that. But other than the marriage, what other things are you excited about over the remaining months of 2022? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. At least there's most of the year left. But uh, wedding <laughs> is on my mind. We haven't touched on homelessness, and I think there's a lot of interesting work happening in this space with the prop tech community. Mm. Dan Hughes, I'm sure you know, has done some great work with LandAid setting up a homelessness kind of tech network to bring the community in and companies like Proxy Address, where if you're familiar with Proxy Address, they're helping people avoid becoming entrenched in homelessness by accessing like a a proxy address that they can use to access services yeah, that yeah. would otherwise be hard for them. And I think, you know, there's quite elegant tech solutions where I'm not saying tech is going to solve everything related to homelessness, but the power of companies to have such a positive impact really deserves a bit more attention than it's getting right now. So mm. I'm excited for the emergence of that tech network and hopefully bringing more awareness to the space, both for policymakers and for charities across the community. Mm, and hopefully you can ship someone up back to San Francisco as well, which has obviously got a pretty profound homelessness problem. Yes, yeah, certainly some global uh, learnings in that one. Mm, mm. Um, and then there's just other networks emerging that I think are doing such a fantastic job in social housing. There's Disruptive Innovators Network bringing together a variety of social housing providers with prop tech companies that can help there. And so I'm excited to try to help the right policy teams get involved with each of these networks so that they can be consistently introduced 
to innovation that's relevant to their policy areas. Yeah, yeah. that sounds fascinating. And Anthony, just again, to bring things to a close from your end, what is the future looking like over the next few months for Satellite View? You've got some amazing things coming ahead, launching a rocket. And tell us about some of that. Who are you partnering with? Where's that going to be launched from? So the satellite's going to be with SpaceX, so with Elon Musk. And uh, so that'll be launched out of Cape Canaveral in the US. So we'll be uh, putting the satellite in a box around this time and, and, and sending it to the launch site. And Not doing it from the farm in Devon then? No, but the UK is building capability in Cornwall and in Scotland. And uh, this, the flight schedule with a Virgin launcher in Cornwall this summer, if it stays on, on track. But Cape Canaveral, so, I mean, that's the real deal, right? That's the, uh, you know. Yeah, no, there's, there's pros and cons of both, all right? So... Elon Musk is like a bus service. You get in there and you join up to 100 other satellites on this rocket and you get dispersed. We're very much more bespoke in Cornwall. So this rocket is for you. So you go exactly where you want. So you get what you pay for. Yeah, yeah. But I imagine the, uh, there's going to be a certain rock and rollness to, to see at Cake and Avril watching <laughs> something that you built launch. That's going to be a great moment for you. No, it's going to be a super moment. I mean, it's the culmination of many years' work, a lot of people's money and time, and, uh, you know, it's a service that everybody's crying out for. Well, fantastic. And I'm really pleased for you, mate. And it's going to be great to see that. And hopefully you will be able to find a, a spot on the plane for me to come with you. And, and we, can, we, can, we can catch up there. Um, yeah, I'll buy you a beer outside the gate. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, just one final thing. What should innovators and founders be doing if they want to engage with the department if they've got an idea they want to share with you like if they've got things that they think can help you on your mission and support the government's very public leveling up agenda how can they engage with you and your colleagues sure good question i know that there's so many companies out there that can help achieve government policy objectives and move the industry in the direction we're all trying to go I try to make myself as accessible as possible. I know I can't clone myself, but I do have wonderful colleagues as well. People are welcome to reach out to me by email, jessica.williamson at levelingup.gov.uk. Track me down on Twitter. Through Google, you can figure out who different policy teams are. Feel free to reach out directly, but I'll do my best to root where I can. Well, that's exciting. Well, that would be gratefully received, I'm sure, by many people. Well, look, thank you both for such a, a riveting conversation. We've covered tons of ground. Fantastic to hear about everything Satellite View is doing, Anthony, and, and best of luck with the launch. And you must come back on and, and tell us about that afterwards. Jessica, fantastic to see you again. Thanks for coming in. And I'm sure there'll be tons of people listening to this that want to get involved with your agenda. And, and it's really exciting. And, and just, yeah, really positive to hear that department's taking such a proactive role and, and a proactive curation of, of different technologies. So, so thank you both very much. Thank you very much for listening. You can subscribe to PropCast by going to Apple, Spotify, any other platform that you want. Many are available. Please come back. Uh, leave a review if you've liked it. Uh, leave a review if you've not liked it. I've been Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting, and we'll see you again very soon on PropCast. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye.